Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. This is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Robert, I've got a, a burning question for you. All right, fire off. I would like to know if you have ever tasted hufu. Hufu. Um, I'm not sure I know what that is. Well, I hope that you're going to say no. Okay. Because, well, it's non-existent actually. So that's the first thing. Okay. Otherwise, I, I would worry a little bit if you said yes. It's uh, it's actually a spoof product, and it was uh, supposedly supposed to be a soy-based food product designed to resemble human flesh and taste and texture. Hmm. And so the website it was up uh, for about a year, maybe 2005, 2006. And it had all these great products that you just never could buy. So if you <laughs> wanted, you know, if you were really wanting a, a finger mm-hmm. or an arm or something, uh, but didn't necessarily want to okay, cannibalize so someone, you could, in theory, order this. So did they, replicate, really. they replicated the taste or the form? The taste and the texture. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, uh, if, if you really get logical about it, I'm not sure there's anything that weird about it, not compared to say, um, well, okay, you're a vegetarian, right? Yes. Okay. Do you ever have like soysage or like a, a, a soy dog or, you know, or any kind of uh, I know, do. tofurkey or whatever? Yeah, I have like meat simulated products. Well, see, like that seems like, I mean, it, it's not unlike that. You You don't want to actually eat meat, but you're okay with something that. And yet, resembles the taste. And yeah, and form. yet there's a disconnect because sometimes when I pull out a, a 
piece of what's supposed to be bacon, mm-hmm. and I look at it, and I it, it's a little disconcerting. Yeah. So I'm frying up the bacon, and yet I don't eat bacon, and I don't necessarily want bacon. Mm-hmm. But I do have to say there is that, that bacon taste that you can never really replicate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even if you're, but I guess even if you're frying up some soy bacon, it, it is going to look like bacon and not say like a pig's face. Like you can't get a soy pig face, right? Maybe you can. Maybe it's a special actually, order thing, but it's, it's, it's going to be a small market. market <laughs> that may actually carry that. Oh, wow. They do some pretty funky stuff with it. So this, you know, in, in, in discussing like why is this creepy and this not, you know, uh, with the, with the hufu. I mean, that really comes down to the basic question about cannibalism in, uh, in nature as a whole. Right. Uh, because it's, it's one of those things when you really look at it, there's kind of like the animal version and then, well, there's really only the animal version. But we then, hope. Yes. Well, but, but on top of the animal version, um, and, and this is like, you know, as cannibalism relates to just any kind of creature you might find, might find that practices it. And a lot of animals practice it. Um, if you layer, human culture and human society and our complex web of uh, emotions and values on top of that, it just really complicates the matter. And you get into this, this area where cannibalism is really this, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's an outrageous thing. It's like it, it, it raises outrage from people. For us who who like to think that we have morals and uh, social values and we all cooperate with each other. We, we try not to eat each other. Yeah. Humans. Yeah. Yeah. I found this great uh, quote from, uh, Tom Sorrell from the University of Birmingham, and uh, he said, quote, In intellectual history, cannibals stand for alien and exotic human beings, specimens of our species who realize its darkest possibilities, usually in places far removed from civilization. Cannibalism, cannibalism both expresses natural law and and uh, contravenes it. So, uh, Right. So yeah. there, there's the, the rub, right? Yeah. I mean, it happens in nature. And it's perfectly natural there, right? Yeah, but, and yet we can't help but wince a little bit. Yeah, you hear that, you know, you start hearing that somebody's like, serve, you know, grinding up corpses, uh, you know, to serve in the restaurant. People just get outraged. There's a great Monty Python skit where it involves like grinding up corpses and and <laughs> and feeding it to people, and it's like the um, they break the fourth wall, and like the the audience just starts throwing things. You know, it's it's. It's that outrageous a concept, right? Right. You, you want to know where your meat pie came from? Yeah. Yeah. But it's very, like I say, it's very widespread in the animal kingdom, and it is a uh, major mortality factor uh, in the biology of numerous species. So we're going to sort of walk through the, we're not really going to go with pros and cons, but first of all, we're going to look at the case for cannibalism in nature and some of the ways that it's practiced. And there, then we're going to look at uh, the case against. And for the most part, we're going to avoid the whole uh, uh, question of cannibalism um, within the larger human institution. But uh, we do have an excellent article on the uh, website by Josh Clark about that. So I highly recommend checking that out if you want to get more into the, uh, you know, the serial killer uh, cannibal topics. Right. Or endocannibalism. Yeah. All the different types of cannibalism that exists. All right. So um, the big thing for me when I when I was researching this is that a lot of it really comes down to energy. Right. Right. Because if you're an organism on this planet, uh, unless you're a plant that's generating a lot of its energy from uh, photo- through photosynthesis, uh, and even that, you're not not all the energy is necessarily coming from the sun. But uh, for the rest of us, we're having to consume other little bundles of energy to uh, to keep our energy going. So we're having to eat other organisms. 
Now we might we might not eat um, you know we might only eat plants or we might only eat animals, but we're having to eat something. So it's this constant this is huge pyramid you know uh, of of predators uh, uh, preying on other forms of energy. Right, and even bugs. Let's not discount bugs. Some people oh, yes. eat bugs and they like them quite a bit. They're, well, they're supposedly quite good. I've never had one. Have yeah. you had a bug? No, no, but isn't I think it's a street food in Vietnam. Yeah, suppose there was supposedly some in Thailand. I didn't get to try it when I was there. Yeah, so. it's supposed to be incredibly nutritious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd try it if I if I had the chance. But it's never offered on you know the, the local menus. No, it's not here in Atlanta. Where are the yeah. palmetto bug uh, uh, salads? I don't know. You'll have to start a food truck. Yeah, based on that. So like we said, the, uh, it, it all comes down to energy. It comes down to predation. And cannibalism is basically a pet predator-prey interaction within a species. So it's a member of this species preying on a member of another, uh, of the same species. Okay. So like, uh, you know, when you get into discussions of, oh, did, uh, did, uh, you know, humans eat Neander- Neanderthals and did Neanderthals eat humans? That's not really cannibalism. It's kind of creepy, but it's still, it's, it would be two different species. Right. Eating each other. Uh, okay. Or one, you know, that's that's a whole separate podcast there. Okay, but it would be uh, like me eating you, right? Same species, right? Right. Yeah. Don't worry. But let's hope it doesn't come to that. Right. So w- there are different types of cannibalism, right? So there's um, something called siblicide. Yes, this is uh, most commonly seen in the sand tiger shark, um, and um, this is a situation where the animal has two uteri, and uh, each one produces a number of eggs. And but each each litter yields just two pups, one for each uterus. Okay, so there's some competitiveness there. Yeah, these uh, the little embryos have embryonic teeth, so you have all these little uh, you know unborn brothers and sisters in there, and it's uh, it's kind of like a uh, it's like each one is like a battle royale of uh, you know who's going to be the toughest. So it's they just kind of uh, you know chomp down on each other, and at the end of it, you have one shark pup left standing. Huh. Okay. And and so they're hungry. They've got teeth. Um, it actually reminds me of Dwight Schrute from The Office. <laughs> um, I don't know if you ever watch it. I, I do watch it. I, I don't remember the, the quote. Yeah. He said that he actually absorbed his own twin brother. So he <laughs> therefore had the strength of a man and a baby. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I guess it would be like the Dwight Schrute's of the animal world. Yeah. Yeah. You could you could think of this as the Schrute factor. Right. So... Uh, <laughs> So the so these two uh, uh, sand tiger sharks end up emerging with strength, <laughs> with with a very shrewd like uh, veracity right. to uh, help them uh, you know ensure their survival. Yeah, approximately fourteen species of, sh- of shark are thought to practice some form of this cannibalism, but the uh, the sand tiger shark is the is the one that we've studied the most. And, okay, uh, and, and we have the most down on. Um, now, it, it, you know, it, one of the things to keep in mind about procreation in the animal kingdom is that. Uh, especially sexual reproduction, it's like a huge energy um, uh, waste. Yeah. Well, not necessarily a waste, but let's say it's an investment, a huge investment. Because uh, just look at humans, for instance. Think of all the energy that goes into sexual selection, you know, whole products, you know, people, especially, you know, how, how much time do teenagers waste on sexual selection? Enormous amount of time. They, they don't know how they get anything done. Indeed. And uh, How do they study? I know. Apparently they don't. But... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess they do. But anyway, uh, energy, uh, for the sex act itself. Then there's, uh, then on the mother's part, there's the energy to bring the offspring to term, the energy to give birth, and then the energy to raise the child till it can fend for itself. Right. Because remember, the, the genetic mission is basically create another, uh, you know, another creature. Replicate your DNA. Replicate the DNA, 
keep that strain of DNA going, and then, uh, you know, put this new uh, product on the market and let it, you know, carry on on its own. Right, right. And so all these niceties, like playing at, um, you know, Mozart in the uterus, aren't necessarily their focus. Right. Just get it out there, get it going. But in a, in a way, it's like make sure it's like the best, you know, the best possible. Uh, and instead of eating uh, the sharks in the womb, it's, you know, potentially listening to Mozart, right? Right. Yeah. So um, I also like to think of think of this in terms of uh, of like a business, like if uh, if how stuff works were to launch like a like some sort of separate entity. Okay. Like uh, I don't know um, how crabs work or something. Like we were going to do a site that's just about crabs, and we're like, this is going to be it's going to be like how stuff works, except it's only going to focus on crabs. It would be kind of like the company's offspring, right? Okay. So it'd be like all crabs all the time, crab fashions, crab recipes, crab right. science. But the but the but the existing business has a certain amount of energy already tied up into it. Right. A certain number of employees, right? So let's say, well, okay, we're going to have one one employee go off to be the editor of this new site, and another to be the writer, another to be the marketing guide, another to be the you know the programmer, uh, etc. All the things that that can make it what it is, and it has to. Uh, in it, in where it's like forming this new entity of itself, right? Okay. So it's this this huge energy invest and in, in, uh, this huge energy investment, and if that doesn't work, then one of two things are going to happen: either all those people are going to lose their jobs, or they're going to be absorbed back into the parent company. Okay. Or at least that's my my understanding. They're going to be shrewded. Yeah, they're going to be shrewded. Okay. So. Um, that that leads us to another type of cannibalism that's uh, pretty com really <laughs> very common and that's the eating of one's own young yeah which again is one of these kind of like terrifying type of things there's the classic image is it uh, cronus the uh, the god of time yeah eating uh, his own son i think so yeah and yeah. then like then i i'm i'm a little shaky on this particular story from um, uh, mythology but there's a famous painting of it and uh, there's i think zeus like was able to like somebody snuck Zeus away by putting a rock in there so that uh, so that he would eat the rock instead of baby Zeus. Of course, yeah, because yeah, Zeus was all about uh, killing the young, his young. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway, it's it's another sort of terrifying idea, you know, that the oh my goodness, the mother is the life bringer, and then you know, and and if you've ever had hamsters or uh, or any other t- uh, you know kind of uh, animal like that that ends up killing its young and or mm-hmm. eating them, it can be kind of a terrifying uh, moment. But it makes a lot of sense from an energy standpoint. Right. From a survival. Right. Basic. Yeah. There, you know, there's inner energy has been expended to create these, uh, these new, uh, creatures and there are calories wrapped up in them. So you bring them back into the fold, right? Right. Okay. Well, I'm actually thinking too, um, sort of related to that. There's the masked booby, which is a bird. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Yes. <laughs> I knew, I knew it. I knew I couldn't just say masked. Booby. Yeah, you've got to you got to run these by me and uh, yeah, I know. Needed, I gotta so t- I I've got to give them. you a um a hint there. Okay. But um, okay. So, getting that aside, the masked booby okay. is actually a bird, and it's indigenous to the Galapagos Islands. And uh, that's a case where the parents it, it's a case of sib eating, right? Okay. There there are two siblings, um, but that's a case where the parents actually step in and they encourage them to kill one of the other off. Whoa. Yeah. And they actually, the, the odds are stacked um, in favor of their eldest. So they, they it's sort of like a, uh, akin to getting them into a match and seeing like a chicken fight and seeing who's oh. going to come out best. And the uh, the reason for that is the, the very same, which is, you know, you want to put all your effort into the sibling that's going to survive and has the best chance of carrying on 
It's. I mean, it, it sounds harsh, but I mean, it comes wow. back to that. So anybody out there that is in kind of a, uh, a Bluth family type situation where they feel like their mom and or dad are stirring uh, competition uh, <laughs> up, just be glad that they're not encouraging you to kill and eat each other. That's right. Be glad that you're not a masked booby. Yes. <laughs> um, but just to give you an idea of how many different uh, animals engage in this, and it's also, uh, you also uh, see... Um, uh, for instance, sharks will practice um, uh, the eating. They'll end up eating eggs that haven't been fertilized. Yeah. <laughs> um, and sometimes uh, eggs will be uh, eaten that have been fertilized. But you'll see uh, you'll see this form of cannibalism in uh, protozoa, slime molds, sea slugs, insects, spiders, fish, reptiles. They've, they've uh, observed it in dinosaur fossils. Um, bats, seals, sea lions, otters, polar bears, even otters. Yes. N- otters, you know, they're cute. cute. Little otters. Yeah, imagine one, uh, you know, cannibalizing another. Uh, it, it, I won't. Or eating its young. It, it happens. It never shows up in the, the cute pictures. But uh, tigers, chimpanzees, uh, you know, amphibians, uh, at least a 100 species of mammals uh, in all. And, of course, hamsters. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're most known for it. Don't tap on the glass. <laughs> uh, which leads us to uh, the re- some of the reasons. Um, you know, why would a mother hamster suddenly decide that she needs to uh, slay all her offspring and uh, eat some of them? I don't know. Maybe she had way too many. And exactly. That's too much energy to expend. Right. On a, on a broad that big. Yeah, it's kind of like if you, uh, uh, you know, to use the sort of clunky business <laughs> analogy from earlier, it's like if you suddenly created this enormous side project with way too many employees, you're like, whoa, this is going to fail. This doesn't make make sense. It's not going to bring in enough money on its own to to support that. Right. So we gotta we gotta bring some, if not all, of these employees back into the fold. Yeah. Yeah, and some of them too. If they're if they're born with um, a disease mm-hmm. or they're not quite up to par, isn't that a, another reason to sort of cull down the the broad is to take out the ones that are the, the weakest and, yeah. and and use them for energy for yeah. everybody else. Yeah, like uh, female rattlesnakes, for instance, will consume uh, on average about eleven percent of their uh, postpartum mass. Um, mostly, uh, these are going to be stillborn or just non-viable offspring. So again, it's like. They have all these offspring. It's all about, like, let's keep the species going. Let's keep the, the DNA going. Yeah. You're going to want to invest in the ones that are the best candidates. I mean, you know, it's disgusting to us, but it really is practical if you think about it. Yeah. 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 If, you, if you take the anthropomorphic-ness out of it. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's the, base, it's the basic mission, the genetic mission, and the, uh, the, the, the energy logic tied to it. And, it, yeah, if you strip away all the, uh, the, the layers that human culture has put on top of it, then yeah, it's it makes perfect sense. You know, just as a as a side observation or question, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about mammals who eat their placentas after birth. Uh huh. And I'm I'm wondering if they ever uh, cannibalize their young. If maybe they just get eating the, carried away. Well, no, I'm wondering if maybe the eating the placenta actually um, serves the need of, of of eating some sort of protein and getting some energy source back. Huh. And and instead of eating their young, they they eat their placenta. I think it would make yeah, it would make perfect sense. I don't know. Yeah. I have that's a question. If anybody knows the answer to that, that would love to know. Yeah. Um, uh, another great example of this uh, comes uh, in uh, invasive cane toads in Australia, and uh, these are just some <laughs> these are some some crazy animals because you'll have uh, small and medium sized but not large cane toads, and they'll wave a long middle toe. Uh, off their hind foot up and down in the water. And they're doing this, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to catch other, um, toads. And then the cane toad larva will actively seek out toad eggs of the same species to eat. So there's just like a lot of cannibalism wow. going on in cane toads. In fact, um, 
and again, they're invasive and they're a huge problem in Australia. And, uh, they, they found a 2010 study found that, uh, this was actually, uh, um, encouraging them to spread because a mother toad would end up, uh, you know, wanting to lay her eggs in a, a virgin, um, a pond or, a, or a little uh, stream or whatever just to in- encourage, uh, just, just to protect it from other cane toads. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, you know, you're, it just ends up, you know, oh, we got to find new water, new water to, uh, to, to, for these eggs to develop in so they're not eaten by all the other cane toads. Uh, but they think that the, that they might be able to, uh, to draw the, uh, uh, the chemical that, uh, the eggs shed, uh, that, uh, that, that attracts the, uh, the other cane toads and okay. use that as some sort of a bait. It's so, like a pheromone or something. Yeah, that's yeah. Similar to that. I just can't get over the, image of like all these toes (laughs) pointing up in the water like synchronized swimmers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure that's happening. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. So yeah, we could keep going and just listing all sorts of weird and um, and grotesque examples of uh, mothers eating their own young, but uh, we should probably move on into another fascinating area of cannibalism, uh, uh, and definitely a sexier area of cannibalism: sexual cannibalism. Oh yeah, yeah, which sounds like a great great name for a band if it is not used already. To uh, draw back to a uh, to an example that we brought up in a previous uh, podcast, or one about uh, uh, Ladies' Night on Planet Earth about. Uh, the, the role that the male has in uh, in any given species. Right. We mentioned the uh, the brown antechinus, uh, which is uh, also known as uh, McLehy's uh, marsupial mouse. And this is the male that mates for twelve hours at a time and eventually humps himself to death. Uh, and then he's you know his mouth he's not another mouth to feed uh, through the winter. Right. Like the species can then just focus on you know mother raising the young. All the men are dead. Uh, you know, until next season. Yeah, I think maybe I, I said that he was that sort of relegated to like being the pool boy. Yeah, for the female. So that being the case, uh, sexual uh, cannibalism o- occurs when the female eats her mate during or immediately after uh, the sex act, which happens a lot. Yeah, apparently. And and again, it's like if you look at the uh, the male as merely a mutation necessary for a sexual reproduction. He's, he doesn't necessarily have a lot of uh, use after that uh, that sexual encounter. So, again, this that's energy that's just wasted. So, it, it reminds me of like when a company brings on contract workers for a project that has a like a short term goal. Yes, they're like, we need to get this project done, but we don't want to like hire six guys and then have to pay them or and gals and have to pay them benefits, uh, etc. Right. So let's just bring them on as contract workers, and then in six months we're done. So it's kind of like the male in these cases is a contract worker. And at the, when they're not needed anymore, they're like, go. And they're, they're submitting themselves to this process willingly because they want to make sure that their offspring sub- survive. Is that the idea behind this? What, the mating? Yeah. Well, that, that they would say, okay, yeah, I will mate with you knowing that you're going to say you're a praying mantis. You're going to rip my head off and then consume me as I'm mating you. Well, it's interesting. I was reading some stuff about this and, uh, most, in most cases, the male, I mean, the male's going to mate. That's, uh, am I right, ladies? The, the male is, <laughs> the, I mean, that's the, the male's mission. Right. So he's, he's going to engage in that. But you'll also see, uh, like with praying mantises, the, the males will try and survive, uh, within, you know, their limited ability to do so. 
Uh, and it's also, there's kind of, it's kind of exaggerated in most, uh, praying mantises, mm-hmm. I understand, uh, because a lot of the, um, the early, uh, studies into this, you had females in captivity who had not eaten as much as they'd want to. So oh, it's kind okay. of so like, they were voracious. Yeah, they were voracious. They were ripping they're hungry. Heads yeah. And so here's right this, um, this mantis and, you know, they're, uh, he's done his part or is doing his part and he can continue doing his part generally pretty well, even with his head eaten off. Mm-hmm. So they just go for it. They say that typically, uh, praying mantis, uh, cannibalistic mating process only occurs five to 31% of the time. And, uh, and it occurs most often if the female is hungry. Okay. Yeah. And so most, most species are only going to cannibalize regularly in captivity. But there's one species, uh, the mantis religiosa, um, which is, uh, uh, which is really into it. And it's necessary that the head be removed for the mating process to to uh, to take effect properly. So, uh, and and in these cases, the female typically eats a third of her partners, and uh, she eats even more uh, in the lab if the male can't escape. Okay. But that's the thing: the male will try and escape. Uh, it's just you know, a third of the time he's uh, he he doesn't have a chance. Yeah, I think it was the mantises I was reading about that uh, there was some suggestion that they had evolved to sort of almost create a, a belt-like effect in their abdomen region mm-hmm. so that they were drawing in all of their major organs as tightly inward as possible so that the fangs wouldn't get to oh, them wow. very easily. So they can keep processes going at least to complete the yeah, 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 exactly. So they can they can mate longer without dying. But it's interesting. Um, I was actually thinking about this too. Harvard biologist Stephen Jay Gould, he had thought that uh that it wasn't as widespread as it actually we know it is now mm-hmm. and his idea was that are you, are you saying uh, sexual cannibalism or cannibalism in general sexual can- okay. cannibalism uh, i think it was re- it must have been very troubling to him cuz he sort of came <laughs> up with all these different ideas about it but the the main crux of it was that maybe it wasn't as widespread as it actually is and that the female had just mistaken her mate as prey <laughs> which i thought was really funny because, I mean, moments before the praying mantis was, you know, filling his wings and showing his abs, his six pack, and, you know, <laughs> then began mating with her. And, and the, the idea that she just sort of forgot what she was doing and turned around and went, whoa, pray. Wow. Maybe you know, maybe he just crunch. had he had like a really horrible, uh, you know, girlfriend at some point, And he was like, like, wow, like somebody that just like snaps at the, you know. And so he was like, all women must be like this, regardless of species. It's possible. <laughs> you, there's, there's definitely some overreaching there. Now, there's one you'll you'll find uh, sexual cannibalism in a number of arachnids and, and insects, but it's particularly interesting in the redback spider. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a relative of the, the black widow. And, uh, the males, first of all, are really tiny. Like, it's one of these cases where, you, where the, uh, the whole arc, you know, the whole case for males is just being a, you know, a, a mutation necessary to procreation and not being the species itself. Right. Really op- opposite. I mean, really, it's really obvious in this particular species because the male is just tiny. It looks like an entirely different animal. Okay. Uh, in, in the, uh, the female is enormous. And the male is a willing participant in the sexual cannibalism. All right. So during copulation, this uh, the the little male guy, he'll position himself um, above the female's jaws. All right, and uh, and uh, and and you know basically like shove himself into her jaws so that she gets right. to eat him. Uh, and uh, and they believe that it's uh, it's favored in sexual so- uh, selection because 
the uh, the sexual the cannibalized spiders received two uh, uh, different advantages. First of all, cannibalized males copulate longer and fertilize more eggs than those that survive. Okay. And then also, uh, the females were more likely to reject subsequent suitors if they consumed a mate. So. Uh, this makes sense. I think they were talking about it as a sort of like uh, a sperm plug. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. not to get racy about it or anything, yeah. but basically that, you know, they had made their deposit and that, you know, any other males after that wouldn't necessarily be successful. Right. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting because, like, we're looking at these other uh, cases of sexual um, cannibalism. And the male really doesn't necessarily have any, there's no argument for the male sticking around and being eaten for the, uh, you know, the advancement of the species and the, and, and him passing on his DNA. But this is a case where there's a definite advantage if he gives himself up to, uh, you know, to the appetite of his mate. Yeah. And I thought something that, um, was really dramatic that I read is that they, one account said that they actually somersault onto the fangs. <laughs> we just like, take me, please, <laughs> eat me. And then the other thing that I read is that um, during the mating process that they pluck the strings on the, the female's web for like eight hours. Oh. And, I know. It's, and I thought that is kind of sweet. But then I kind of thought, well, maybe she was like, God, that is driving me crazy. I'm going <laughs> to eat you. These 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 guys are so nice. And then the, the, the lady spiders are so hard on them. It's just a... I oh, know yep. it's it's a rough life, and then there's the the orb weed, weaving spider orb weaving, um, in which the male sexual organ gets stuck in the female, and okay. this is by design. Okay, again, it's the same idea of a sort of a sperm plug. So all although she can polish him off and you know <laughs> snack on him, she's stuck with him so to speak, and that just makes sure that she can't mate with someone else afterwards. So huh. there's definite design behind this. I don't think that they're just being masochistic here. Yeah, it's not the situation where the insect world is just like, you know, evil or anything. No, it, no. it all makes makes uh, sense in the grand scheme of things. Now, um moving away from uh from sexual cannibalism, you'll also find plenty of animals that just seem to be kind of jerks, like kind of anti antisocial jerks. Yeah. And if they encounter anything, they're probably, you know, they're either going to run from it or try and kill it. And if it's one of their own, they're Probably going to try and either mate with it or kill it or mate with it and kill it. So, um, the score, like various scorpions are great examples of this. Like scorpions tend to live very solitary lives. And, uh, if they encounter another scorpion of the same variety, then there's a very good chance that they'll, that one will eat the other one. And if they're opposite sex and, uh, you know, and it's, uh, you know, and they see it as a good time to mate, then they may mate and then one will eat the other. Wow. These guys are jerks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Komodo dragon is, is of course, another great example of, uh, of just being a cannibal just for the heck of it. Because uh, the uh, the young, uh, the, the Komodo dragon uh, young are just considered prey, um, you know, up until they're a certain size. So, so primarily raised for prey. Well, not primarily raised for prey, but they're uh, they're just the, the the parents have no role in mm-hmm. in rearing them after they've been born, so they just have to climb the trees to escape their oh, parents. Oh, yeah, to escape their parents. Otherwise, oh, their parents will eat them. They're like, oh, look at those guys. They look tasty. I'm hungry. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, the one thing they can do to uh, besides hiding in the treetops is if they smear themselves in excrement, then uh, then that will keep. Uh, the, uh, the, the, their parents from potentially eating them. That does actually work. Yeah. Too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Um, 
Komodo dragons, too. I, I remember something with Sharon Stone's husband some years back. Oh, I forgot about that. Didn't, didn't they dine on her husband's foot? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think they went like a, a behind the scenes or something, and he, and he went to go pet it. Yeah. That just seems like a bad idea. Yeah, I, I understand it really scarred him. He's been, uh, I mean, uh, emotionally to the right. point where he, he always keeps himself smeared in uh, Komodo excrement. Excrement, yeah. yeah. Especially on vacation. I guess that's why their relationship didn't work yeah. out. <laughs> and, of course, you'll find plenty of cases where um, animals of, uh, of, of, of various form uh, will be more than willing to eat their own dead. Uh, after they've right. been killed by another, you know, species. You know, alligator, crocodile comes across a dead, uh, you know, creature of the same species. It's food. They'll eat it. A uh, number of scavengers, uh, like vultures, uh, et cetera. They, they see the food. They'll eat it. And even, you know, humans, um, throughout, throughout history, you have uh, situations where humans have eaten their own dead in uh, cases of survival cannibalism. Right. Um, some of those cases are a little, um, controversial. Like, uh, I've, I've read cases for and against the uh, uh, the Donner Party cannibalism thing actually happening. Right, because there were no actual witnesses. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but then you also have the uh, the case of the the soccer team and alive, uh, and the uh, and the actual events that that movie and book were based on, where you know they're they're in a horrible situation. Mm-hmm. The you know the, these there are these dead bodies, and really on a very logical level, those bodies are energy. And if you're in a situation where it's life or death. You're going to consume that energy. Right. And I think that's the important thing to think about is that it, it really is in extreme conditions, right? In, yeah. in, with humans, as it has happened and in nature. I mean, food is scarce. Um, but you know, you can always look over at someone and say, hmm, he would be a good protein source. Yeah. And in nature, it tends to be a lot, it's a lot more life and death, obviously. Uh, especially with these cases we're looking at in the ocean where, where competition is tremendous. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of our our fascination with cannibalism is that it is we we largely a lot of us uh, anyway live in a time where it's really hard to imagine such a desperate situation, and it's and that would necessitate this kind of return to our primal roots and our basic programming. Yeah, actually, wasn't it Ted Turner who not too long ago uh, warned everybody that we'd become cannibalists if uh, if we didn't address the global warming situation? Oh, really? I missed that. Yeah, yeah. There was, I mean, of course, it drew outrage, but wow. uh, it was certainly a way to get people to pay attention to the problem. Oh, oh, I actually, um, yeah, I actually heard that they, um, the, the Ted's Montana Grills, they actually had. Um, these uh, these statues of people that they were going to start rolling out in place of the buffalo, <laughs> if that cannibalism thing were because you know I mean Ted's the savvy businessman so yeah if cannibalism becomes the new thing then uh, Ted's Montana Grill is going to pick up on it yeah of it. course <laughs> that's a brilliant idea um, but what about primates I mean that to me primates and cannibalism is um, it's one of those things I can't help but anthropomorphize because I think that we look at them mm-hmm. and see so much of ourselves in them. And, and they do cannibalize one another from time to time. Yeah. It's, um, it's especially, um, with primates, you, you see some very disturbing, uh, acts, you know, and, and they're more disturbing because they resemble us more. Right. And, uh, you know, you'll see, uh, you know, see, you'll see chimpanzees, uh, even gor- gorillas and orangutans are cases where they're, you know, suspected of eating their own young. Um, you know, and we've seen plenty of cases of where chimpanzees have, uh, have, have demonstrated their, uh, capacity for quote unquote cruelty, uh, mm-hmm. towards, uh, other chimpanzees. Um, but will they, I know that sometimes when they're, uh, fighting that they'll kill each other, but when they're fighting, they don't, 
don't necessarily eat the body afterward. Is that right? Right. Or, or yeah, not necessarily will they eat it. So it's, it's more, um, I guess if they come along a deceased chimpanzee or other type of ape and they actually just eat it. Yeah. In chimpanzees, typically the males will kill and eat the infant of another female, usually in their own group, but occasionally in another. Okay. And uh, when chimps kill adults from other groups in a fight, they don't eat the body. Okay. Yeah. And I remember this too, that they, they might eat the infant to um, force the chimpanzee into estrus so that they can go ahead and propagate again. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So the infant may not have been their infant, but they want to go ahead and mate and get the process rolling. Right. Uh, now, it's uh, it, it's interesting when you start looking at, um, at, at especially at, uh, at primates eating one another in different cases, you know, throughout history. There are constantly studies arguing for and against the... Uh, um, you know, just how much cannibalism was going on with prehistoric, uh, with, uh, you know, prehistoric humans. But, um, anthropologist, uh, William Ahrens, uh, suggests it's simply a bad strategy as far as evolution goes, though. Like, since, uh, under evolutionary theory, we're fu- fueled by that, you know, innate desire to see our genes survive, you know, eating another one of your, you know, your tribe and your species, that doesn't really make sense. You know, it's, right. it's going, it's working against our, uh, our basic programming, and uh, and and another uh, interesting thing to keep, to keep in mind is uh, you know you, you may think well why don't humans just raise you know why why don't humans raise humans for food right or, or how how come you don't have uh, you know cases where um, cannibalism becomes a a staple staple of any species diet um, though it is worth pointing out that uh, cannibalism can play a huge role in a diet uh, I think I'm going to go back to the scorpions here for a second. There was a 1980 study of desert scorpions, and they found that cannibalism provided only the uh, fourth most common meal for a scorpion. But in, but as far as body mass goes, it was the number one, representing more than 25% of its uh, total food intake. Uh, okay. So, so yeah. So in in the case of the scorpion, yes, uh, cannibalism can provide a large part of its uh, diet. But uh, in humans, you see a different uh, situation. Yeah, in humans, uh, nature does not necessarily like for us to practice cannibalism. And uh, I think that you can see that pretty well illustrated in the four tribe. Is that right? With the Kuru? Yes, Kuru is a, um, yeah, it's a rare breed of disorder caused by what are called prions. And these are abnormal proteins, which uh, induce irregular protein folding in brain cells. And uh, this leads to flawed brain tissue, which results in progressive incurable brain damage. Uh, the word itself, Kuru, means laughing disease uh, in its name because the scientists observed uh, fits of hysterical laughing in those affected. So it's pretty, uh, pretty tra- traumatic stuff. Um, and so this is this came on because the tribe was basically practicing endocannibalism, right? Is that right, with yeah. the funeral rites, they were consuming the body, which you know isn't because they were looking for a source of protein, but because they it was a way to respect the deceased, to literally absorb them. Right. And, it, and it's it's interesting, this is a case where if you if you start thinking about cannibalism in a very logical, you know, energy sort of uh, uh you know uh thing, then uh eating one's ancestors does kind of make it makes sense. It's like a way to honor them. It's like I'm inviting their energy back into me. And uh and that's that's pretty much how, how symbolically these, they look at it. Would yes. be great. <laughs> yeah, symbolically it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um and on a basic energy level it's it's not bad either. But the the thing is it's kind of uh it, it really opens the door for the passage of uh disease. Right. And so this is sort of like the mad cow 
equivalent. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Mad cow is a similar disorder as is. I'm going to just take a shot at this. Uh, Creutzfeldt Jacobs disease. Creutzfeldt. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, this sounds better that. than what I did. Uh, and this is a human variant of mad cow disease. And uh, they basically, like with the foray, they were basically able to uh, to to wipe out the the disease by simply getting them to stop practicing this communal cannibalism. Right, like literally overnight. Yeah, they got them to to eradicate this from yeah. the tribe. Well, yeah, I mean, basically, it's like, hey guys, you know when your uh, <laughs> your family members uh, go stark raving mad and are laughing at nothing. And then die. Well, that comes from the cannibalism, so let's cut that out. It's pretty. What? They're like, well, you know, we weren't too, we weren't that crazy about the cannibalism. (laughs) We can, we can set that aside. Well, I guess it's also in in nature a little bit of a concern for primates too, because they sometimes will consume a body as a group, right? Spreading potentially a disease, something like hepatitis, right? Um, And I did want to add a side note about bonobos, um, Mm -hmm. which is an ape and. Uh, they're sometimes called the hippie ape because they um, are fun-loving and they love to mate uh, without discretion. It's like the key parties in the 70s Yeah, they are the bonobo along with the humans and the dolphins, only animals that uh, in- actually enjoy sex. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> hence called the hippie ape. I don't know. Um, do hippie apes enjoy sex one other I don't know but uh something that was pretty disconcerting is that they were observed pretty recently to, in the wild to have consumed one of their own mm-hmm. and uh again this is the anthropomorphic thing where we look at them and we say oh but, but they're just peace loving and they just love to have sex with each other why are they eating each other um but they would be a good example of primates um taking the body and eating it and they actually ate that body for more than seven hours, um, which is a lot longer than they would take on any other body. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the people in the group, or the individuals, I guess you would say, right. people, uh, were actually playing with the food. So um, it, it's a it's an interesting side note in that uh, it's an odd occurrence for bonobos to be doing that in, in the way that they did. And of course, you could extrapolate that it was some sort of uh, funeral, right? But then that wouldn't really be correct because we just don't know what they were doing. But it's also a good example of how that disease could be transmitted through the group. Right. Now, and, and it's easy, to, though, to fall into the trap of saying, well, then this is a great case of where, you know, can, you know, nature abhors cannibalism and that, you know, cannibalism of this nature, this, you know, communal, communal cannibalism is just poison. Um, and, and you know, may, maybe, you know, you could still make that case. But uh, I was looking at a 2006 uh, University of Virginia study, and they found that ca- cannibalism... Uh, is actually only documented as the predominant transmission mode uh, of a disease in very few species. Um, yeah, even even through uh, you know specific instances of cannibalistic transmission um, that, that have been noted. Um, like basically, it, the only two cases they found were the prion transmission right. in humans that we mentioned earlier, and a um, a kind of protozoa uh, based uh, illness in lizards. Oh right, yeah. yeah. And do you think this is because most cannibalism is one-on-one as opposed to a group situation? Like the the, the group cannibalism is more of an outlier. Um, yeah. Well, I th- yeah, and also I think it's uh, it, it also comes down to like cannibalism. Like you know, a disease is gonna needs to spread. It's got the same genetic mission as 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 any organism. Right. So it needs it needs a, a road it can count on. Right. So the the idea of some sort of disease depending exclusively on cannibalism it it, it largely doesn't make sense. It's okay. just not a not 
an economic way of going about it. So like, so, um, you know, for instance, in the study, in other cases of cannibalistic d- disease transmission, uh, and there were others, alternate disease transmission modes existed. Um, so it's like the, you know, hepatitis or something. Hepatitis isn't depending exclusively on group cannibalism to spread, but if that door's open, it'll gladly, <laughs> gladly take it. Right. You know? Right. Not to personify the, uh, the illness too much. No, no. So I guess that the talking about, um, not trying to anthropomorphize, ultimately you can't get back around to this question. Aren't we sort of all cannibals on some level or another? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you look at things like, um, you know, anything from a blood transfusion to, uh, you know, organ transplant. I mean, it's, it again kind of comes down to, uh, the, the energy, uh, uh, situation. It's like we're, we're taking energy out and storing it. We're harvesting energy that it can, uh, that is otherwise going to be wasted and bringing it back into ourselves. Yeah. Um, there are a few interesting cases in, uh, in, uh, traditional Chinese medicine where you have, uh, what they call Taibo, like T-A-I-B-A-O, nothing to do with, uh, the, uh, uh martial yeah. arts exercise. Yeah, videos. nothing to do with that, but, uh, <laughs> But this is a particular medicine that involves uh, something uh, uh, also referred to as a bordis because it's uh, it's uh, harvested from uh, from fetuses. Um, and this is according to uh, Mary Roach in her book Stiff. She goes into this a little and explores yeah. uh, this whole chapter on cannibalism uh, and the use of materials from corpses in medicine in that book. So I highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, and there's regenerative medicine too, basically taking tissue to grow new tissue. Right. Yeah. You know, so. I don't know. Chew on that, I suppose. Yes, indeed. So, hey, if you want to uh, to learn more about this, again, check out Josh Clark's article, How Cannibalism Works. It's great. It's a multi-page uh, feast, and you'll want to eat up every page of it. And uh, come check us out on Twitter and Facebook, where uh, you can find us as Blow the Mind. And, and, and indeed, I encourage you, if you're a fan of the show, uh, check out that Facebook page uh, and click the like button Uh You'll make us very happy. Yeah, that would be great. And if you've got thoughts on cannibalism, you can also email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 